Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I hope you've been following our Candy Coaches series over at CBSSports.com. We're just about done. One more question to go. That'll come Friday. But we did want to take a few minutes to discuss some of the interesting results since we last recorded, starting with the question that ran last Friday. If you missed it, the question was this. Is Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 for the SEC good or bad for college basketball? 64% of the coaches said it's bad. 22% of the coaches said it's good. And 14% of the coaches said it doesn't really matter. But what I found interesting is that among the 22% of the coaches who said it's a good thing for college basketball, none of them, and I mean literally none of them, could explain why it's actually good for college basketball. Deadleg, I know you don't think it's good. We've touched on it before. Mm -hmm. You're with the 64%. But can you even come up with a reason why it might be good because literally none of the coaches we communicated with offered at least what I would describe, and I say this respectfully, as a good reason. There was no convincing argument. That was what I got. And I didn't really press anyone for one, but usually when I got the responses back that it's good, um, I had sent you kind of my tally within the overall tally. So the only ones that I got, well, every SEC coach that I polled, head coach or assistant, they all said good, which is not surprising. <laughs> I understand that, like, whatever. The Big 12 split among uh, coaches I talked to, three said three actually said good, five said bad. I think the three that said good, some of these were, at, some of my coaches got asked before, BYU, Houston, Cincy, and UCF came to the league and some said after. Uh, I think some of that was because of the teams they replaced it with. But I don't know. Like, if you're looking for why those two schools, and I thought it was a, a good question to ask this year because we were coming off all this huge news when we decided these questions with Oklahoma and Texas. And it, it does have relevance. It will have impact in college basketball, even though this was made clearly, obviously, for football reasons. Um, the only thing, if you want to try and twist this and say it could be good, is that Maybe, although I would also fight back on this, uh, if Texas becomes essentially a top five program under Chris Beard, and we'll get to him in a little bit, uh, in the SEC, and has someone to really go eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe, chin-to-chin with Kentucky, then that is a very good thing for the SEC nationally. And if Oklahoma under Porter Moser can continue to be a team that makes the tournament more years than not, then maybe in the SEC, which will be a 16-team league, Maybe then you'll have a situation where the SEC moves up and is consistently year over year, you know, in that number one, number two, number three over, overall spot as best conference in college basketball. But I don't think that will happen. I think there's a chance that, yes, you could have another team that kind of floats in there, nationally relevant. Um, but when you get to 16 teams in a league, it will be inevitable. Like the bottom four, the the bottom four minimally will just drag you down. That is too many teams in a league to realistically expect that because your volume is larger, your quality is going to guarantee to be better. That's not going to necessarily be the case. And I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by the vote split here. As one coach put it to me, if it's good for football, it's usually bad for hoops. That was succinct, and I do think that's accurate. At least it has as how it pertains to realignment impacting college hoops. My voting broke down a lot like yours did. Every SEC coach I polled said it was a good thing. <laughs> and and coaches of at schools who are getting to move up to the Big 12 because the SEC is taking Texas and Oklahoma, they also said it's good. But I interpreted that as they were answering the question a little indirectly. I didn't ask if it's good for you or if it's good for the SEC. Mm -hmm. I asked if it's good for college basketball. And I did find it interesting, and this is what I wrote about when I, I handled the post, is that nobody offered 
a great reason for why it's actually good for college basketball. And you know, to be clear, I didn't press everybody like, you know, just like you didn't press everybody, but I gave everybody the opportunity to like, you know, okay, you think it's good. Explain why. And nobody really explained why in, in a way that I go, Ooh, okay. That's something I didn't think about the reason, or at least the main reason I would have voted that it's bad for college basketball is, is pretty simple. Um, you know, it's not because I don't think it's great for the SEC because I do think it's going to be good for the SEC. The SEC just added two premier programs. You know, everybody, I think everybody thinks Texas is about to become a monster as 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 soon as this season. And obviously, Porter has accomplished a lot at Loyola Chicago, and with him now in charge of that Oklahoma program, there's reasons to uh, to believe that that the Sooners are 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 going to remain nationally relevant. So the SEC got stronger. It'll be one of the best and deepest basketball leagues in the country. But what it did to the sport that I think is damaging is that it destroyed, demolished a good basketball league. Right now, with all due respect to every other conference that thinks it deserves respect, there there are really seven good college basketball conferences. It's the Power Fives and the Big East and the American Athletic Conference. Let me stop here. Would you agree with that? Uh, those are the upper echelon. I would also include uh, the WCC Mountain West and A10 as, quote, multi-bid leagues and that they can expect to be in the conversation reliably for at least two teams in the tournament every year. But those leagues, as of right now in 2021, are just a cut below, and then everything else is a one-bid league. Yeah, okay. So let me rephrase. Um, th- those are the top seven leagues. Yeah. And, 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 and they have finished in the top seven consistently in recent years. Like, you know, we can argue what's eight, what's nine, what's 10 in what order, but the, and we can argue what's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in what order, but it has been that group of seven that has been the top seven consistently for, for a string of years now. Well, when you take three of the biggest, the three biggest um, athletic department budgets in the American athletic conference, and two of the top four basketball programs and perhaps three of the top six with Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF, you really, really decimate the American Athletic Conference. I know it was done for football reasons, and it decimates the football side of things as well. Mm -hmm. But it does have an impact, a real damaging impact, on men's basketball. It makes what will be the updated version of the American Athletic Conference look a lot like the previous version of Conference USA. If you remember when John Calipari was coaching at Memphis, the Tigers just sort of overwhelmed everybody else in the league from a recruiting perspective and then on the court as well. Uh, This is shaping up to be something similar. It doesn't mean that, you know, Wichita State can't consistently compete and obviously some other programs will will be right there in some years but when you take Kelvin Sampson and Houston out of the league when you take a program that is as historically strong as Cincinnati out of the league and UCF has been in the NCAA tournament recently and is at least respectable in most years you, you take a sport that had seven obviously good leagues and you turn it into a sport that's got six, obviously, good leagues. And I don't know how you could twist that into it's a good thing for college basketball. Uh, probably not. The only way that this could ultimately wind up repairing itself so that we could still have seven, and we'll see if the dominoes lead to this or not. Um, I think there's just speculation. There's nothing real attached to this yet or not. But um, because of all of this, do you have a situation where Gonzaga – uh, which is lose, you know, it loses BYU in the league. There's no way that that school and Mark Few can be satisfied and happy about the fact that BYU is leaving because it's the second best program in that conference. Does Gonzaga then try and go to the Mountain West 
obviously, you know, Gonzaga doesn't have football. So it goes as a hoops only member if it makes that happen in the next couple of years. And I think by nature of it doing that in the Mountain West, which had Colorado State and Air Force heavily flirting with leaving to go to the American until they balked in basically the 11th hour after San Diego State and Boise State also were heavily courted by the American Athletic Conference and they initially were a tandem. They The Mountain West retained those four. If you can also get Gonzaga in a conference that has historically proud UNLV and you go down the line, like, you know, the Mountain West this season, uh, I'm going to have at least three teams in my top 60 rankings. Like, it will be a good league. It will be a multi-bid league this year. Then I think by virtue of adding a Gonzaga, you could have a situation where the sport has seven major conferences again. But otherwise, the situation you're laying out is going to be the reality of it. The American Athletic Conference cannot add anyone else to and at least in my opinion to uh boost its standing it's just gonna drift back into that territory of being in a great year a three-bid league but you know it won't be surprising if it winds up being a, a one-bid league and it could be in the conversation just as frequently with say the valley which we talked about which got belmont and is rumored to be hopefully getting murray state eventually at some point like that might be where it's at with the a10 et cetera, et cetera, and on and on. And it's better for college basketball to have more leagues with NCAA tournament level teams because there's just, you know, it it makes for, uh, you know, a more beautifully patterned quilt, if you will, across the country. If you have more leagues with multiple teams that are capable of getting into the NCAA tournament, it naturally draws more interest and you just don't want as much monotony. So this is an unfortunate byproduct. You know, it's going to happen. I hate 16 team leagues. You're barely a conference at that point, but that's just the way that we are, that we're headed. And, uh, it'll be just a, a matter of years before we are, we are there with Oklahoma and Texas out of the big 12 and into a 16 team union. You know why I hate the 16 team leagues? Cause when we got to do those conference previews, uh-huh. whew, 16 different capsules. Come on, man. That's a lot. I know. I know, I know. It's coming down the pike soon that's enough. Why I'm always, that's why when we start discussing these things, I'm like, I'll do the Big 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll die. Hey guys, I got the Big 12. Yeah. You can, yeah, exactly. you can take the you can take the Big 10. We'll give the we'll give the Big 10 to Strongjaw, and I'll take the Big 12. There's a lot of castles, man. Uh, the ACC 15 team league league right now. No, I hear I hear you, man. Those are that by sounds, the way. That, that sounds like a job for David Cobb. <laughs> we uh. <laughs> Our, our preview stuff at the site and in podcast form, uh, it's coming with a quickness here. We are obviously inching toward the season a little more than a month away, so um, just be aware that that's just coming around the corner real quick. All right, what did we have on Monday, GP, as we continue to tour through our, uh, our Candid Coaches series? The question was, will name, image, and likeness increase or decrease cheating in college sports? We asked more than 100 college basketball coaches that question, and we're going to talk about it next. But first... Let me tell you about Butcher Box. Whenever you need a great tasting meal, you can trust Butcher Box is in your corner. They make it really easy. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat of your choosing, and the options include 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork, wild-caught lobster tails, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, sugar-free bacon. The options really are absolutely terrific. There's no better feeling than knowing you can skip the grocery store. Because there is a variety of ButcherBox meat already waiting for you in the freezer. And today, ButcherBox is offering listeners of the Ion College Basketball Podcast ground beef for life. For a limited time, ButcherBox has given new members two pounds of free ground beef in every order for the life of your membership. Imagine never having to shop for ground beef again. That's what makes it still a no-brainer. For those unfamiliar, let me ensure you that the process is super simple. Once you sign up, you choose your box and delivery frequency, and ButcherBox offers five boxes, four curated box options, as well as the popular custom box, so you get exactly what you and your family love. ButcherBox ships your order frozen at peak freshness and packed in a 100% recyclable box, and shipping is always, always free. What you'll be able to do is enjoy great-tasting, high-quality meat delivered right to your door. That's what I did just this week. I got the beef and chicken box, New York strips for the grill, drumsticks, chicken breast, spiced up real good. It's the best meat shipped right to my door, which means one less trip to the grocery store. This is your chance to never have to shop for ground beef again. That's right. ButcherBox is giving new members free ground beef for life. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash ionecollege. That's butcherbox.com slash I on college. 
Will name, image, and likeness increase or decrease cheating in college sports? That's another question that we asked more than 100 college basketball coaches. And the answers, uh, they were interesting. 61% said it'll increase cheating. 34% said it'll decrease cheating. And 5% said it'll just stay the same. But at least from my perspective, it really came down to how coaches define the term cheating. Was that your experience too? Yes, with some of these coaches, that was absolutely the experience. And this is one of those questions where I wish you could hear the tone of the voice of some of these coaches and their response and the laughing that ensues when I when I ask this question. Uh, because, you know, frankly, some of these coaches were telling me, listen, here's the deal. It is against the rules right now to be on a coaching staff and to use name, image, and likeness opportunities at your university in the town or the city where your college is located and to discuss that and help broker those deals with a prospect. It's not allowed. It it is strictly forbidden. But as, I don't know, at least 20 coaches told me, like, if you think that's not happening, you are an absolute idiot. (laughs) Like, there's just no chance. And I even had some coaches say, listen, I actually had one coach kind of put me in the same spot where your coach on last week's episode talked to you. Like, listen, is this, is this, who's, who's going to find out about this answer kind of deal? He said, listen, I've had two different families when we've gone to do in-home visits, right? They've sat down and for the first 30 minutes, all they wanted to talk about was NIL and what we could do. And it puts, it puts us as a staff in a super weird spot. Cause like, we're not going to not have the conversation, but at the same time, like we're not allowed to do it. So he's like, one coach is like, listen, like if you want to interpret this question purely by what's happening out there, yes, it is, it is happening. Cheating is going up, and even coaches that don't want to be having these conversations are almost being put into them uh, by by purely just having an honest and you know relatively transparent conversation with the family. So I thought that was interesting. The ones who said decrease, it was a matter of interpretation in that they thought, you know, listen, NIL is out there now. It's a legislation that's on the table. And I had one coach tell me, personally, I feel as though this has made some good impact overall. And a lot more of this is happening above board. I still think that cheating is happening, but I do think this is is, is working to... Uh, at least clean up the game to a certain extent. So I had a, a lot of, uh, you know, enlightening conversations on this, but uh, the cynical faction is still out there and heavy, and probably rightfully so, Parrish. I didn't have any coach try to explain to me that money isn't dictating where players go to school in some to some degree. It really just came down to, do you interpret that in this, NIL era as quote cheating because you know some coaches broke it down exactly like you did hey listen name image and likeness is a real thing but we're not supposed to be involved that's what we were told you're not supposed to be involved so if coaching staffs are involved they are cheating because they are violating the the certainly the spirit of the rule if not the rule entirely so yes they're cheating and cheating has increased and then I swear I had other coaches from the exact same league as that coach say, dude, there is no cheating anymore. Every, you know, every, NIL has legalized cheating. So there is no cheating. How can you cheat if, it, if I don't believe there is any such thing as cheating? And it, it reminds me of, of, of something I have said for as long as I can remember. Because every time there was a scandal in the sport, especially you know, the FBI scandal, you go on these radio shows all over the country and they ask you at some point in some form. So how, how do you clean up college basketball? And I always said, change the rules. You know, how do you get people to stop getting arrested for marijuana possession? You don't run ads. You don't start programs. You change the law. You make it where it's le- it's okay to possess marijuana now. And then suddenly you got fewer arrests for marijuana possession. This is obviously, you know, it, apples to oranges, but you get the point. How do you make it where throwing around money at a prospect or his family or his people, how do you make it where that's not getting programs in trouble anymore? Will you just make it where it's allowed, where it's okay? 
And generally speaking, I think most coaches seem to say, hey, just this is the world we're living in now. And, you know, if if you're not if you're not operating intelligently in that space, you're going to have a hard time flourishing, um, you know, in, in this era of college basketball as a coach, as a staff, as a program. You know, we asked uh, and we talked about this on the last podcast. We asked more than 100 college basketball coaches. What program do you think will be in better shape five years from now, North Carolina or Duke? And I had one coach actually say, whichever one adjusts to name, image, and likeness mm. quick, uh, you know, better. Uh, that'll be the one that flourishes. Um, and, and because, you know, I've talked to enough coaches about this as recently as yesterday. They say, yeah, it does get – at first I've had some coaches say, dude, I don't even know what we're allowed to do. Like, I, I don't know what we're allowed to do. It, it's still not crystal clear to me what's okay and what isn't okay. But – I had, I've had coaches say it does get awkward because the, in previous years, if you're sitting with a family, you're sitting with a dad, sitting with a mom, sitting with a, you know, a guardian or even a grassroots coach, they kind of, you know, nobody would talk openly, explicitly at the beginning about stuff like this. You know, you'd fill each other out. And then maybe they had an understanding of who they're talking to. So if you're talking to this coach, you know, you can get down. And if you're talking to this coach, you know, you probably just don't need to take it in that direction. Or you could just fill each other out. And then maybe at some point you get comfortable to actually start discussing the details of a a possible deal. This coach said, now it's just out in the open. Like, you you know, know, you're in in a house and, and the families are bringing it up. They want to know what's possible and what isn't possible. Can you promise something or not? And at that point, as, as a coach has explained to me, you're in a little bit of an awkward situation because if you don't um, entertain it because you don't think you're supposed to, that you don't think you're allowed, well, then you're, you got no shot. You're done because somebody else in that living room is going to be entertaining it later tonight, tomorrow, next week. And if you do entertain it, you are possibly breaking NCAA rules and also creating what is going to be a bidding war. And so, you know, as, as coaches have said to me, it's not, it's not entirely clear how I'm supposed to handle that, how comfortable, you know, we should be having that. But to your point, it is 100% happening right now. And one of the points I've always made since the NCAA first acknowledged that they were working on name, image, and likeness rights for student athletes, um, but but insisted it it will not be allowed to be used as a recruiting tool. I I said, well, that's just, that doesn't even make sense. It's 100% going to be used as a recruiting tool. But the other thing I said is that it won't change the order of things at all. The same schools that are getting the players are going to be the same schools that are getting the players. The same coaches that are getting the players will be the same coaches that are getting the players. And if you look right now, in the class of 2022, guess who's got the top two recruiting classes in the country? I got you. I know. Duke and Kentucky. So, like, uh, you know, Memphis had the number one recruiting class in 2019 before name, image, and likeness rights. The name, image, and likeness rights came. Guess who had the number one recruiting class in 2021? Memphis. Yeah. The same programs are going to flourish in this space. It will not change the order of things anymore. You won't have to wonder, well, I wonder why that player went to that school. You can always assume, especially if it doesn't make sense on a surface level, like in a different time, you can always assume name, image, and likeness played a massive role. And again, when we asked coaches about this, some of them said, yo, that's still cheating. And others said, it's not cheating. It's all allowed now. But what everybody agreed on is that money is flying around and money is undeniably dictating where a lot of people go to school and where it's going to where it's really going to play a role going forward. I in addition to recruiting high school prospects and 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 even junior college prospects to some degree where it's really going to play a role is in the transfer market. 
Because I had one coach tell me, you know, that, hey, it's already happening, but it's going to happen more. There's going to be a player at a program somewhere, maybe even in a power conference, who was a off-the-radar recruit coming out of high school, but then turns into an obvious high-level college player with experience who also checks some NBA draft boxes. Like this person was off the radar two years ago, but now they're proven at the collegiate level and, and intriguing at the NBA level. Well, and, and this, this coach didn't say these schools specifically, and I'm, but just for the sake of the mm-hmm. conversation, what's going to stop Kentucky from reaching out to that person's grassroots coach or North Carolina or Kansas or any of the big, big programs and saying, Hey, you, you want to come play at our school and start next season on the biggest stage college basketball provides and make a million dollars. And how does that player turn that down? And my response to that was the player probably won't turn it down unless the, the, the school he's already at can, can, can generate those type of name, image and likeness deals as well. And, and beyond that, I don't really care. You know, it, what, 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 nobody's going to convince me that it's a bad thing for somebody getting to live out a dream. Um, and if a mid-major player or even a high-major player at a lower-tier program is able to elevate his place in the sport and make a lot of money, I've always thought that's kind of a cool deal. So I, I, I acknowledge it's, it is going to happen and is happening. It just doesn't bother me as much as it bothers some coaches. But again, I'm not, you know, I, it's not going to be anything that cost me a player and cost me wins and cost me a contract extension. So I get it. Yeah. Before we get to the next question, which is kind of related to this one that we're talking here. Um, I did want to address a couple of quotes that, uh, that we got here. Um, I had one coach tell me, <laughs> I had like four or five people try and guess who this is. Obviously not going to share who it is. Uh, I said, are you serious? Cheating has been around since I was born and it's only gotten worse. Even with coaches doing jail time, I can't tell you, enough how glad I am to be out of the SEC. Uh, We did both have coaches that just like directly but casually accuse. I had three schools uh, accused of of some pretty blatant cheating. The one thing I want to address here on the podcast is none of those three schools were Memphis. Now, I had FedEx referenced twice in in my quotes, and I put that in because there is a feeling that Memphis, the way that it's positioned with FedEx, not even that like Penny and his staff are doing anything outside the boundary. In fact, it's just the opposite, and it's why I put the quotes in there. I didn't have one coach uh, lob an accusation against Penny Hardaway and his staff. It's more, look at what Memphis is doing and how it is being able to elevate its program because it has such a prominent corporate sponsorship essentially attached to the arena it plays in, the university as a whole, the athletic department, and on and on. So um, I thought that was interesting in that uh, I'm obviously not going to share which three schools got targeted, uh, but the the fa- I just wanted to be clear here and show some transparency on the podcast. Memphis was not one of those, and I think it's easy for fans out there to assume that a lot of people think that Penny Hardaway and his staff are just flagrantly cheating because all of a sudden they've been able to land the number one class two out of three years and on and on. But I actually found it was the other way around. People were saying, no, FedEx is the exact reason why you know this, this is happening and helping a program uh, like Memphis. And to be honest, I had a couple coaches being like, good for Penny. Like If, if they've got it lined up to that point where like he doesn't even need to really do much because the parents kind of know the deal and the opportunities there with NIL, be it with FedEx or anyone else. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I wanted to provide a little more background as to, uh, as to those quotes that were in the story. Yeah. I would just add one thing. Um, you know, obviously it would be naive to us to assume that name image and likeness played no role in Memphis enrolling clearly the number one class in America. Yes, yes, like, yes. you know, uh, you know, the, the, the previous number one class, it was like James Wiseman who played for Penny in high school, DJ Jeffries who played on Penny's grassroots team. Um, you know, they, they, that one was sort of set up from the moment he got the job. In fact, like it's, it's partly why he got the job. Um, you know, this is different. Amani Bates didn't grow up dreaming of playing at the University of Memphis. He's from Michigan. Jalen Duran didn't grow up playing at the uni- dreaming of playing at the University of Memphis. 
Um, Penny had Penny's never coached either one of them until now. Again, it would be naive to assume name, image, and likeness didn't play a role. But you know, as you pointed out, I don't hear a lot of complaining from other college basketball coaches about it. Like, oh man, what they're doing down at Memphis. Like, it's sort of just sort of acknowledged. Like, hey, you know, Memphis is rocking and rolling. <laughs> this is the way you have to do it in in the name, image, and likeness um, world. And, and, and Memphis is, 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 is doing what we should all be trying to do. I don't want to speak for everybody, but that's certainly the prevailing commentary I get from other coaches. There's not a whole lot of, you know, in, in pre-NIL, when some coaches would get, you know, enroll five-star prospects, gain commitments from them, you and I both would hear from other coaches like, man, you know, that, 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 it's ridiculous what that guy's doing. You know, and in, 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 I think name, image, and likeness has sort of taken that, for the most part, off the table. Coaches aren't resentful of other coaches um, as much as it's like, hey, this is the business we're in now. It doesn't matter whether we like it or not. This is the business we're in now. So I, I do think that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. And the other thing I would say is that it is very easy for people to – Every time you think of Memphis, think of FedEx. Like, oh, they got Imani Bates, must be FedEx. They got Jalen Duran, it must be FedEx. And I'm not sitting here denying that FedEx might play a role in name, image, and likeness for Memphis someday. But I have been told um, by people uh, you know, around the program that FedEx's role in anything to this point has been overstated. Um, it's sort of the default corporate sponsor connected to the university and Mm -hmm. for good reason fedex is fedex is responsible for the entire city of memphis if you want to know the truth like the the grizzlies are here because of fedex Uh, they're gonna have a uh a a a pga tour playoff tournament at tpc southwind because of fedex um fedex plays a prominent role in the city of memphis but the idea and this was reported irresponsibly and recklessly by somebody before that somebody deleted it out of a story. But the idea that FedEx is just throwing around millions of dollars, I was told that's just not, that's not happening right now. It, it, I'm not saying it'll never happen, but I was just told, yeah, name, image, and likeness is, is, a, is playing a prominent role in all of this. But the idea that it's just FedEx getting things done, that's not really the way this is going down. So the Monday question was tied to our Tuesday question that we put them back to back because name, image, and likeness clearly is is a thing that can help college basketball with its relevancy and continuing to attract really, really good players. Uh, we asked more than 100 coaches, how concerned are you about both the G League Unite program and Overtime Elite, you know, negatively impacting the future of college basketball? GP, what were the responses you got? And what was your reaction to how coaches responded to the story? Because this is the rare question where we actually gave them one of four. It was multiple choice. Zero concern, mildly concerned, moderately concerned, or very concerned about those two entities and, and them having an impact on the, the appeal and viability of college troops. Well, more than three-quarter of the coaches we polled said that they were either completely unconcerned or just mildly concerned. And honestly, that wasn't surprising to me because um, – the G League is only recruiting a handful of five-star prospects. And so how many schools are really recruiting those types of players? Like it's not, you know, as we make clear, we pull coaches from all levels of Division One. So if you're a mid-major coach, you're not concerned with the G League recruiting Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga. It's got nothing to do with you. And if you're a low-major coach, obviously it's got nothing to do with you. So those coaches aren't concerned about that. And, uh, you know, uh, with Overtime Elite, it's a little bit of a different deal. They're casting a wider net. They are taking some four-star prospects. Um, but they're taking them so early that, you know, after their sophomore year of high school or after their junior year of high school, that most coaches told me, like, we could work around that. Like, you know, it, it, what stinks is what I had one coach explained to me. What, what, what's frustrating is what happened to Mick Cronin a couple of years ago. He recruits station Knicks for years. They secure the commitment. They are counting on him. They don't recruit other people because of him. And then at the last minute, G League swoops in, grabs him, and you're left without the guy you thought was going to be your starting point guard. That stinks. But, you know, it, with, you know, with, with, with overtime elite, you'll know if you're losing a possible prospect pretty early on and you can move on. Not that big of a deal. And with the G League, 
and I had multiple coaches say this, and I, you know, I, I actually personally believe it to be true. It's not going to be as big of a factor going forward because, you know, any five-star prospect that is worth a million dollars to the G League or $500,000 to the G League is going to be able to get that and more playing college basketball because of name, image, and likeness rights. So it was widely reported that Jalen Duren had a million-dollar offer from the G League. I'm, I'm confident somebody convinced Jalen Dern and the people around him, you could make that playing college basketball at Memphis. And so now he's at Memphis and I suspect he will be a millionaire at some point, you know, over the next year, well before he enters the NBA draft. So the responses that I received, at least it was not really concerned about the G league anymore, because now if you're, if you're talented enough that the G league wants you for a significant amount of money, you are talented enough that Kentucky, Kansas, Memphis, North Carolina, Duke, they can tell you you can make that money legally playing college basketball. And with Overtime Elite, it was like, you know, we find out about those early. And and then a lot of coaches said, yeah, but are they even going to be here in three years? You know, we'll see. And as I pointed out in the post, Overtime Elite has a plan. It, it acknowledges its skeptics, but, you know, it is not internally skeptical. When I talk to the people there, they believe they will be profitable. They will believe they have lasting power. But, you know, right or wrong, a lot of the coaches we talk to um, are skeptical of that. So most coaches sort of settled on. It's not something I really think about too much. Man, this was a uh, this this question. I'll be honest. This was like you know maybe question nine or ten that we finally decided to put into the pile and use this year. Uh, primarily because the overtime elite, you know, it signed twenty four players and really became something viable. But um, man, I was in, I was in no shortage of quotes uh, to send you. Um, and yeah, like. One, uh, one I sent to, I'll, I'll share a couple here that didn't make the post kind of cutting her floor. One coach who said he was mildly concerned said, I don't like this narrow vision of basketball. I like the narrow vision if you're Jalen Duran or Derek Lively Jr., but someone who's 58th in the country and he's going to play in overtime and then make the league, you're a fool for thinking that. I think that coach is absolutely right. Um, I had another coach tell me, I talked to a parent, uh, and a lot of them want to have their kids you know, enjoying that college experience. But uh, I'll be honest, some of these kids hate school, man. I just talked to one to come and visit, and the other day he goes, Coach, I just signed with overtime. I didn't even know. It seems like they're taking anyone. What was interesting is I had a Big East coach, Big Ten coach, and I think an A-10 coach all talk to me about, listen, this actually is a little bit problematic. And these were either mild or moderately concerned answers in that, yeah, like for us, our number one guy might fall like, you know, he might be 67th in the country or 48th, or heck, he might be 110th. And that guy is now being targeted by Overtime Elite, which announced on Wednesday it was going to have an out-and-out pro day. And I, now pro days are now the new, like, they're, they're the new thing. Like, we're going to look up and, like, <laughs> Wyoming and Bradley are going to have pro days, but the next thing we know. Like, this has just become the October way of getting some attention on your program, and I get all that. But I'm, I'm with you in that I there was way more discussion with these coaches, even though the question was posed about both the G League Unite and Overtime Elite. The coaches just, in my experience, wound up talking about overtime much more than the G League. Um, and if you told me that in five years the G League Unite program didn't exist, I'd believe you. And the reason why is there's a potential outcome here in that maybe the NBA ultimately will, although it was reported three, four years ago that by you know 21 and 22 – we would have the age limit reduced back to 18. We're not there yet. Are we going to get there? If we do get there, what's the G League Unite's purpose going to be? You're either going to be able to go to the NBA right away, be it if you're projected as a number one pick, a number 10 pick, or a second round pick, or you'll be able to go and make money if you're not quite ready to go play professional basketball and you know that you're not going to get drafted, um, or Overtime Elite may still be there. So if it, it's weird in that, I had a lot of coaches say, what is overtime elite? Like, how is this going to be viable going forward? What's the what's the economic model? Who are they playing? Coincidentally enough, overtime elite did announce earlier this week it's got two games scheduled upcoming. But it's a huge question. And so I had a couple coaches say, I don't know, like, more power to them. But, like, is this thing going to be around in four years? And are we going to look up and, like, what about these players that are ranked 80th and are signing with the – like, 
when they uh, when they're 27 years old and they're nowhere close to the NBA because that's just not how this is going to work. Like anyone, you know, anyone kind of thinking about the back end of this and and where the fallout could be. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Got some got some good quotes. I had one coach tell me, "Isn't the NBA supposed to be helping or working with college basketball? It's not the NBA's job." To do that. Would it be nice? Yes, of course it would. Would it help both? Sure. It would help college basketball a lot more, but that's just not how this, how this goes. It's just not, uh, in an ideal world, that's would be what was happening. And I think there has been effort on both sides to kind of continue. And I think it's probably in a better spot now, even though this G league, <laughs> even though Unite exists as a clear competitor to NCAA men's division one basketball, um, this was much more, fractured and not a lot of line of communication like a decade ago but I wasn't surprised by the answers like UGP um, I did have a few coaches say no I'm, I'm really concerned actually and the reason why I'm concerned is I don't think it's good for college basketball to have even if it's only quote-unquote only 25 or 30 guys in a given year siphoned off um, realistically what two three of those guys are going to actually stick in the NBA so where are those guys going to wind up 5, 10, 15 years from now? Um, is it is it really appropriate? One coach said, I've, I, ethically and morally, it bothers me. He's like, I don't want to sound like the typical soundbite, but you're asking a 17-year-old to take $400,000 right now. He is a kid. Who are the people guiding him? And yes, he's going to need uh, a real you know means of income eight, nine years from now. And there's absolutely no guarantee that the 17-year-old now will be good enough to play in, in EuroLeague you know, five, six, seven years from now. So interesting question with a lot of good responses, but for the most part, college basketball coaches didn't find themselves overly concerned. I do think there actually is impact on those schools though, that are outside, say the top 20 and are trying to get the kind of player that can make a recruiting class. If you're in a, co if you're a coach in a spot where you need that second contract and you're going after the number 77 player in, in a class, and if you get him, you're going to have a better chance. And now, oh, he just signed for 270 k to play with Overtime Elite, and he's out of your class, and that kind of puts you in a tighter spot. So I understand those concerns as well. To the extent that I had coaches um, express concern about it, um, it, it was either you know high major coaches who might be recruiting a player and lose them to the G League Ignite. You know, that like that's not fun. But to your point, if they ever move – the draft eligible line back to if you're a high school graduate, you can enter the NBA draft directly at a high school. Or even if you're not a high school graduate, you can enter the NBA draft directly at a high school. And then the G League night doesn't make any sense anymore. It, it, it is primarily there um, to, um, to, to develop high level prospects who have no interest in college, who want to make some money. And it's designed to keep them from going to Australia or China or Italy or whatever. You know, NBA scouts don't want to fly to New Zealand to in the middle of a basketball season to evaluate the next LaMelo ball. So let's keep that player in the United continental United States going forward. That is the purpose, the primary purpose that the G League Ignite serves. But if those same players can just enter the NBA draft, then you have no real reason, not, not one that I can think of for, for the G League Ignite. But in the meantime, it, it does exist. And so I had some coaches say, hey, you know, at the high major, high, high major level, you know, you don't want to lose a player to the G League. Although going forward, we think we can we can take the money part off the table. Like, like you know, if we, we couldn't legally match what the G League was offering for Jalen Green, but now we can legally match what the G League is offering for the next Jalen Green. And unless we're dealing with a prospect who just decides, coach, appreciate you, but I have no interest in going to an English class, even taking it online, then, you know, then, then we're going to be in good shape there. Um, coaches at sort of it's still the, the, the power conference level, but maybe the second tier or third tier when it comes to recruiting, they said the problem isn't with us losing a player to the G League Ignite. The problem is Duke loses a player to the G League Ignite. Kentucky loses a player to the G League Ignite. And then they refocus and they take the guy we were going to get. Like we were going to get somebody that Duke and Kentucky wasn't even recruiting, but then they miss on one of those guys and now they're coming to take our guy. And now we're probably losing that guy. So it could trickle down. And I don't believe trickle down is the ex proper term, but I, I think you can interpret what they mean. You know, there is a trickle down to this and we could be impacted by that. With overtime elite, the coaches who expressed concern about it, I really do think we're expressing concern. I had more, more than one coach say this to me. 
Um, I'm not concerned for me. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, what happens to these players? You know, okay, you're 16 years old. You sign a deal with Overtime Elite. You're going to make $150,000 this year and next. Congratulations. That's real money. You know, and they, they could, like, help pay off a parent's house, put your siblings in uh, private school. You know, they, you could do real things with that money. But that money's going to be gone pretty quickly. And now you're ineligible for college basketball. So you graduate. You are going to graduate high school with Overtime Elite. They do have an academic program. I've had some people tweet me, are these kids just going to not even get their high school diploma? No, they will be high school graduates by the time they leave Overtime Elite. And you can argue that the academic um, uh, environment they'll be in might be better than a place where they would otherwise be. But, okay, now you're done at Overtime Elite. They ain't trying to develop 22-year-olds. This is high school juniors and high school seniors. Now you're done with overtime elite. You're very clearly not an NBA player. You wouldn't get drafted if there were five rounds. And there's no college scholarship waiting for you because um, you're, you're ineligible to play college basketball. What, are, what do you do now? You know, and I, I guess the, the answer is, well, you could just still enroll in college. Like, you know, like my oldest son just enrolled in college. But that'd be a pretty humbling experience to think that, Two years ago, you were a top 40 prospect in your high school class, and you were actually being recruited by, you know, the biggest, some of the biggest programs in the sport. And now, great, you made $300,000, but you're 18 years old, you just graduated college, and you don't know where to go to play basketball. Because um, everybody just says, well, go to the G League. Well, what if the G League doesn't want you? Oh, well, go to Europe. What if there's not a spot for you there? Like, there were... Any, literally anybody overtime elite signs is going to be good enough to play college basketball at some level to get a college scholarship and go to school and spend four years there and graduate and then, you know, embark on whatever life they embark on. But not everybody is good enough to go to Europe. Not everybody is good enough to go to the G League. And certainly almost nobody's good enough to go to the NBA. So I heard that a lot from coaches. There were going to be stories where these young people got pulled in there and they made a little bit of money, but they forfeited college basketball scholarships, the opportunity to develop in college, and they're going to be 18 years old with no great options. And that is something that bothers me. I want to be clear. It's not necessarily something that bothers me. I'm worried about my own kids, not, too, not, not really anybody else's. Um, but I did have multiple college coaches say that's, that's a, a real concern and a, a possible nightmare situation. Wednesday's question was when we ask every single year and uh, we asked who was the best head coaching hire in 2021. The only year that we didn't ask this was last year because of the pandemic. We didn't do candid coaches and there was only one power conference coaching hire a year ago. Trivia time. Hmm. Who was the head coaching hire in a power conference in 2020? Only one. Hey, power conference head coaching hire in 2020. As soon as you say it, I'll know it. That's because right. I remember talking about this before. Yep. But it is Steve Forbes. Wake Forest. That's right. Because he did his press conference in a mask. <laughs> he, oh, just and created just a, a phenomenal, <laughs> a phenomenal promotional video where he literally spiked his mask on the practice floor at Wake <laughs> yes, Forest. Yes. Oh, man, that was... My apologies to Forbes. I should have remembered. No, that's, I, that's, that's on me. That's, I was going to go with R.J. Barrett. Yeah, exactly. So we asked, we asked this question. You and I both knew Chris Beard was winning this. We both knew he was winning it. But come oh, let me, on. Let me, let, me, let me say this. Oh, well, it's okay. You're going to say this is the biggest margin we've ever had, which is true. Yes. And you might say it was surprising to me. It was not surprising. Sometimes you know, we ask these questions and there's uh, multiple reasonable answers. Th there is no other sensible answer at this, in this moment than Chris Beard period. I mean, it's like, it'd be like if we asked a candidate coach's question, what's the best basketball program in the WCC? There's only one answer to that question. It should be 100% Gonzaga. And I would argue this should have been 100% Chris Beard. <laughs> I'm glad it was. Although that would have been actually, that would have been the best story is if we pulled, you know, 107 coaches and literally all 107 voted for Chris Beard. He did get 61% of the vote though. And that was by far the best. Uh, Shaka Smart, I do. How about this? The old Texas coach and the new Texas coach were not just one and two. They accounted for 78% of the vote. And this does make sense logically. The top three vote getters were the only candidates up for a vote who have been to the Final Four as a head coach. Beard, Shaka Smart, 
Porter Moser at Oklahoma, they comprised uh, 86% of the vote. Uh, Wes Miller and Craig Smith got 3% apiece. And then Tommy Lloyd, Hubert Davis, Mike Woodson, Ben Johnson, Tim Miles, Earl Grant, and Pat Kelsey got a vote. John Shire also received a vote, but... He will apply to next year's poll question when he actually inherits the head coaching position there. Um, real, real quick, this is in the post, but I went back and looked at every coach that won this. Starting in 2013, Steve Alford won at UCLA, coming out of uh, New Mexico where he signed a 10-year deal and left the school like you know, an hour and a half later. Um, I don't have the percentage there. I couldn't find it. Wayback Machine failed me. Uh, Buzz Williams, Virginia Tech. 29% in 2014. Shaka Smart at Texas, 41%. The previous highest vote getter was the Texas coach the last time Texas made a hire. In 2016, it was Brad Underwood at Oklahoma State with 25%. He was actually the lowest percentage vote getter we've ever had for this question. Archie Miller in 17 at Indiana had 38%. In 2018, Chris Mack, 32%. And then in 2019 was Fred Hoiberg at 30%. Parrish, when you look mm. at that list of past winners, Alfred was fired. Buzz Williams did good, but he's no longer there. He moved on of his own volition. Shaka Smart, it didn't end well, although it was decently successful. It just didn't end well. Brad Underwood was a one-and-done to get a bigger job. He's no longer there. Archie Miller, fired, no longer there. And then Chris Mack and Fred Hoiberg, they're recent hires, and so they're still there. But I would say both of those situations, I mean, the, the Louisville situation with Chris Mack, they're in the middle of uh, uh, an ongoing quagmire with with stuff that predated Max tenure and now includes Max tenure, where you had an assistant <laughs> try and extort you in Hoiberg. Nebraska just hasn't caught on yet. Probably not an NCAA tournament team yet this season either. So the point is, there have been some successes, but there is not one previous winner to this question that is both at the school they were at when they won it and like continuing to be a success story there. So if Beard does it, he'll be the first. Granted, it's only a seven-year sample size here, GP. But I found that interesting. There hasn't been like the hire that like, oh yeah, he won it. And when you look up, like they've just been cruising and rolling. Either the coach moved on or it's just kind of been eh or they've been fired. Yeah, and that's why if we look back in five years, it's possible that Chris Beard will not have been the best hire from this offseason. We could revisit these things. I mean, it would have been crystal clear to me uh, the year that Indiana hired Archie Miller, that Archie Miller was the best hire. Turns out, <laughs> not so much, right? So, you know, we can look back on this stuff and, and have different opinions. But in this moment, I don't think there's any answer other than Chris Beard. He's the most accomplished guy, although his Division One head coaching career is, is still relatively young. He's undeniably accomplished. He's done unprecedented things at two different schools, unprecedented things in the state of Texas, and now he's at the University of Texas. So on the day that he got hired, he was the right answer. And then everything he's done since he got hired, he's, he, he, he remade Texas's roster into a roster that is a, you know, that, that comprises a, a, a top preseason top five team. He's got a chance to win a national championship in year one at Texas. He took over a program that lost in the opening round of the NCAA tournament to Abilene Christian, and he got a chance to win a national championship in year one. So on the day that he was hired, he seemed like the obvious answer to this question. And certainly, as we sit here getting ready to start the 2021-22 season, again, I just, I don't, listen, I, I think Shock is going to be terrific at Marquette. Um, I like a lot of these hires. But if you can only pick one, I don't know how you can mumble an answer anything differently than Chris Beard. I wouldn't disagree with you if you made me pick one. He just seems to make the most sense. A lot of coaches in this sport think that this is the ideal marriage, and as long as Chris Beard wants to be a college basketball coach, he ain't leaving Texas. This is the spot. They got a sparkling new arena coming next year. They killed it in the transfer portal. We'll see how that goes this year. If you really look at the players they got, it's a bunch of guys that came from teams that weren't good or didn't win. So I'm interested to see how they, those players gel with the dudes who did come back. But yeah, he is, he's got it rolling. I did have a couple coaches really stand up for Shaka smart and say, uh, the Texas fit was not good. I kind of felt that like by the second year, he's going to be able to have all this autonomy at Marquette and you're going to look up 
We're going to look, we're going to be talking in four or five years and we're going to be seeing that Marquette in that league, in the Big East, is going to be the undisputed, like top three program consistently kind of at the level that, that Buzz Williams had it at before. That will, uh, That'll be interesting, but I, I wasn't surprised. I thought Beard would be one and Shaka would be two, and that's indeed how the voting came out. One more question uh, before we get out of here. It was presented this way with Coach K. That's Mike Krzyzewski, for those unfamiliar. With Coach K retiring, who is the best person to replace him as the most prominent face and voice in college basketball? And the leading vote-getter was Jay Wright at 38%, followed by Tom Izzo at 20%, John Calipari, 12%, Tony Bennett, 9%, Mark Few, 6%, Jawan Howard, 5%, Mick Cronin, 3%, Matt Painter, 3%, and then various coaches um, accounted for the the remaining 4% of the votes. Uh, This is one where, okay, I just said with the other questions, there's only one right answer, and it was Chris Beard. This is one where there's, Multiple right answers. Yes. I thought you were about to say, I thought you were about to say there's only one right answer. I was like, what? <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah. You, you could make reasonably make an argument, I guess for pretty much everybody that the coaches voted for, but I think especially for Jay Wright and Tony Bennett, you know, Tom Izzo is obviously, he finished second and he's obviously a prominent face and voice in the sport has been for a long time and, and can certainly elevate in the absence of Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski. But you know, he, he's, he's up there in age. I I think Jay and Tony are going to be coaching longer in college basketball than, than Tom is. It's just a guess, but I would guess that way based on nothing more than their birth certificates. Um, You know, Jay Wright's got multiple national championships is well-liked well-respected, and as multiple coaches pointed out, and I think this is true, could be the next coach of USA Basketball. And Tony Bennett, same sort of deal. Um, National championship, super respected, well-liked. Like, all of these guys aren't (laughs) well-liked throughout the sport. You know, uh, you talk to enough coaches, somebody, um, somebody lacks fans basically everywhere. And, and I didn't put this in the post. Um, but as I was thinking through it, well, let me just ask you this. Have you ever had a coach say something bad about Jay Wright to you? Um, I can't recall it. No. Yeah. He's, he's I don't really pretty get, highly regarded. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's pretty, he's obviously well, well, he's accomplished. Yeah. But he's also well liked. Like people like Jay Wright. And I think Tony is the same thing. Like people like Tony Bennett. Like there, there are some coaches where they go, I don't know about that guy or that guy's this, that guy's that, or that, you know, I've never respected that guy, but you really don't get that with Jay Wright. And you really don't get that with Tony Bennett. They're accomplished, um, smart, well-liked, um, respected. And I, and I think worthy candidates to be the next face and voice of college basketball. Although I did have one coach and I did include this in the post because I thought it was thoughtful. It said, if the question were who will replace Mike Krzyzewski as the voice and face, I would say nobody. I had a because few, I had a few of those, but that's nobody can, but nobody can replace Mike. They said th- those shoes are too big to feel nobody I, okay. that, but you know, well, I, I get that, but the question, like, someone has to be at the head of the table. There is going to be someone that's the most prominent right, voice. Right. And, so, and, and so this person did say, if you, who's the best candidate to maybe do it? Jay Wright. I'll go with Jay Wright. But nobody's replacing Mike Krzyzewski. This is a guy who has had sustained, sustained success at the highest level of the sport in five different decades. He has been a three-time gold medal winner with USA Basketball. I'd never really thought about this before but I thought about it as I was preparing this post. Mike Krzyzewski has coached more great basketball players than any human that's, that's ever That's right. Played. Yes. I'm not even close. Not close. Not even close. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and as the coach pointed out to me, there's just nobody that can fill those shoes. A lot, he actually said a lot of people are trying. It's like the Iowa caucuses in college basketball right now. Everybody campaigning for, to try to be the next president, but nobody can do it. A lot, a lot of people will try. And Jay's probably the best candidate, but nobody can do it. I'll share a couple of quick anecdotes here. Um, yeah, I had a few coaches try and give me nobody. And a couple of them stuck, but I was like, no, there has to be someone. So you have to pick someone. I'm not letting you skate and say it, it can't be anyone. Um, 
I asked, I got a few Mark Fuse, and I, and again, for transparency's sake, I got a few Mark Few votes on this before he had his drinking and driving uh, incident. So I don't know if he would have had more if that didn't happen, but... I think he definitely would have. Please, how about this? Okay. Again, transparency. I didn't ask any of my coaches. I didn't pull any coaches until after the right. drinking and driving incident, and I only got one vote for Mark Few. And without that incident, I think I would have got a lot more than one vote. I think there's a chance he could have finished higher in the polling. I think there is a the chance. Although I did say this. Here's a couple quick quotes that aren't in GP story that uh, that were on my cutting room floor. Uh, he said, Mark Few, one coach said, Mark Few and Tony Bennett do not want to be the voice and face of the sport. They would run like hell from that. I think they're both rare birds in this profession. There's not a lot of ego there. They want to coach their team, enjoy their families, and I don't think they want that kind of focus on them. Um I got a lot of that with Tony Bennett. I must have had six or seven coaches say, I'd love to give you Tony Bennett. If the question was, who is the conscience of college basketball? My answer to you without hesitation is Tony Bennett. But when you're saying voice, face of the sport, most prominent coach among, you know, the seven or eight who are also in the in the conversation, but the one who kind of sticks out the most, I can't give you Tony. One quote that I did send along to GP on Cal was this. The coach said, when I think public face, I think Cal. He's a machine. I think Cal has a good voice. Uh, I think Few has a good voice. I think Jay Wright has a good voice. But now who wants to beat among those three? I think those three need to be in that next line. Izzo's incredibly successful, but he's a little bit older. And is that who he is? When you say face, it's publicly... It's Cal. I agree with this. My answer to this, I think that John Calipari, as the head coach of Kentucky, with a national championship, multiple Final Four runs, likely to have either number one or number two recruiting class going forward until he decides to step down, uh, he is he is not media-averse. Uh, he might have his occasional battles with people in the media, but he is not too shy to ever appear on television, go to the NBA draft, do a national radio program, promote uh, Kentucky on social media. To me, while Jay Wright probably will command the closest thing to K in terms of prestige, when I think the when people will associate college basketball, the way right now when you say it's in college football, it's obviously Nick Saban. When you say it in college basketball, when Kay retires, I think it will be Cal. But to balance this out, had a, definitely a few coaches just pass this along. It won't be Cal within the confines of the coaching fraternity because he just doesn't have as many tentacles connected to all different levels of the sport. He's gotten a little more involved with his ad hoc committee, and, and I actually got a ton of feedback on that too, GP. A lot of coaches took this to mean, who's the coach who for the past – 5, 10, 15 years, when we talk about the stuff in our own house, right, we're talking about issues in the sport, rule changes, big picture issues, dealing with the NCAA, dealing with the president, all this kind of stuff. Who are the coaches like, really involved in that? They would say, yeah, like that's an Izzo for sure. Mark Few's gotten more of that. Cal cares about the game, but he is not as widespread, doesn't have as many people that he's connected to with some of the other names. So I found that to be interesting. But my answer, I would say it's going to be Cal over Jay Wright. But Jay Wright, two titles, USA Basketball, I think it's 1A, 1B there. I, in, in, you know, in the process of getting these answers, I had multiple coaches say Jay Wright will be the next head coach of USA Basketball. They genuinely believe that. I had a few say it too. I think it'll be Steve Kerr, but I, I could, obviously Jay Wright's right there. Yeah. Yeah. How about this? Jay Wright will someday be the coach of USA Basketball. If he, wa if he wants it, he's certainly in line to uh, to get it done. I like this question, though. I thought this was fun. You've we got been involved with USA Basketball for as long as Jay's been involved with USA Basketball and not want that job someday. I, for I, sure. Like, so, so, yeah. so perhaps he won't be the next. It might be Steve Kerr. But Jay Wright will, will coach the United States men's national team someday. I would bet... I would bet money on that. Oh, and all about, you know, I had coaches point this out. He's a Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer now. So yeah. that adds oh, yeah. another, yeah. That, that puts another flower in his cap. Yes, this, well, this question landed around him actually getting inducted. And so he was riding kind of that wave of momentum. Like that was in the news cycle, you know, Jay's getting inducted. So that also helped his case and why he wound up winning here. Yeah, and with Cal, like you said, he does, you know, he, he, he has some, Cal has some detractors that I don't think exist with Jay Wright. That's undeniable. Like nothing against Cal. He just does. Like I just had a few I had a few guys saying, no, it's not. Not Cal. No. I would pick three, four other guys before Cal. And then I would push back and say, and basically lay that with the case that I just made. But um but some guys just think, nah, when you're looking at the whole package, I would go Jay or, or Izzo before I'd say Cal. But I think it will be Cal. Do you? If you had to pick for the purposes of the general public, when they think college basketball, most prominent head coach after Kay retires, you think it'll be Jay? 
Or you think it'll be Cal? Or it could still be Izzo. He's very he's out there as well. Who would be your pick? I think it, I think it comes down to how you interpret this. There's no denying John Calipari is the most famous. You know, John Calipari is the most recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, John Calipari is the most outspoken. Um, you know, Jay Wright's not out there trying to create headlines with his mouth, <laughs> but but John will sometimes. And, and the other thing, I you know, I. I I, I know, and I don't doubt that some coaches told you that, like John's not really involved in the sport as much as some of these other guys, but I would, you know, you know, in, in the spirit of fairness, John does care about the sport and he's really thoughtful about it. I was always amazed by him in the way that he is constantly brainstorming. You know, he is constantly thinking about the next big thing or what, we can do um you know these pro days they weren't really a thing until john calipari made them a thing and now they're everywhere you know he thought of that that's 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 his idea let's make a pro day for college basketball for our college basketball program and market it and get it on television so he's a big thinker um i I think he primarily thinks about how he can better position his program to succeed but you know, I, I do think he cares about the sport of college basketball, and he's a he's he's a really sharp, thoughtful guy. Um, but it is undeniable that you know, I'm, I think even John knows this. Not everybody is a John Calipari fan for whatever reason. Whereas I don't think Jay Wright has those type of detractors, and I don't think it's like overwhelming with John. There's just some, and especially some in the media. You know, there are some people in the media who are not John Calipari fans. And I don't know that there's anybody in the media who doesn't, you know, have a, a, a who doesn't respect Jay Wright. I, I, I really never, I've never encountered those people. I'll wrap it up with this. I have a quote that speaks exactly to what you mentioned on Cal. This quote, this was not in the story, but and I didn't send it to you, but I've got it right here on my Google Doc. This coach told me, and this is a coach at a power conference school. He said, everybody thinks whatever Cal does is always self-serving. Uh, and that might be true, but I'll tell you, I've been on enough committees and I've seen him behind the scenes and he really does care a lot about college basketball. That coach actually wound up voting for Tom Izzo as his answer. But I think that is right, and and Cal needs to get more credit. And again, he's my answer to this question. But again, there is no there is no bad answer other than the coaches who told me nobody. I don't accept that. Someone has to take this role, and uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, Jay Wright's got a preseason top five level kind of team, right? Izzo won't have that this season. Kentucky will see. It'll be in this in this year when Kay is exiting. Uh, it is Jay Wright again among those, even beyond Tony Bennett. It's really it's Wright, and then obviously uh, Few's got a got a team right at the top there that is going to be most prominent uh, in the season that's just around the corner. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Delbert Simpson, legend. Shouts to Lauren. Now, thank you guys for listening once again to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Middle of the dumbest pandemic of my life. It's so ridiculous. Mm. This is so dumb. Unbelievable. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. While you're there, rate it, review it. Five stars, nice comments. That's all. Really is all we've ever asked. Also support ButcherBox. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.